Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication. Tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Welcome to Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner. And today I'm standing in for Stevie Kim. My name is Joy Livingston. Uh, Stevie is uh, off jet setting once again. And so I'm just standing in this, this time. I hope that's all right with everybody. Tonight we are going to be uh, having a fireside chat between uh, Susanna Gold, who will be interviewing Valeria Radici Odero. And I really hope I said that correctly. <laughs> Susanna, how are you? I am I am great actually. It seems like practically summer here. I'm in New York City and it's very warm, which is a change. Of course, it's not good because it's probably due to climate change, but pretty good and I'm excited to speak with Valeria who I met earlier this month in Oltrepo. Yeah, awesome. I uh so you're back in in the states. I I know that I I met you at the uh, Wine Media Conference. Uh, exactly. How was the exactly rest of right. your trip? Yeah, the rest of my trip well right after I met you then I went to Oltrepo. And I met Valeria, I think the next day. So it's been a whirlwind month. I don't know where October went. It's I can't believe it's almost Halloween. And then soon it's going to be November and then the end of the year. And it's a oh great time to drink all of these lovely wines that uh, I had tasted that nice October day at Valeria's winery in uh, Old Repos. So yeah, let's uh, let's. Uh, I want to ask you a couple questions before you go ahead and speak with Valeria. Um, sure. I wanted to know. So why did you did you choose Valeria's wines? So I had heard about Valeria and her winery Freccia Rossa years ago. I had the pleasure of living in Milan for ten years in Lombardy, and so I began to explore a little bit the wines of Oltrepo Pavese, and of course I heard about Freccia Rossa among the first. I also love to interview women in wine, and so when I found out that there were so many women in wine in Oltrepo, I was really excited and surprised. And then I had the great occasion to meet Valeria this past October, I think, 2nd or 1st, when I was on a trip after the Wine Media Conference in Oltrepo Pavese. I am their brand ambassador for the U.S., 
and I was with some other journalists and Valeria treated us to an amazing lunch and a tour of her really incredible winery. And I just really fell in love with the wines and just found Valeria charming and warm and so knowledgeable about uh, everything. So I was excited to choose her for this ambassador's corner awesome and so what kind of uh what kind of things are you hoping the audience will take away from the conversation the learning objectives that we can expect from the interview sure so i'm hoping that people will learn about oltre popavese it's a region in lombardy that i don't think a lot of people know about yet and it's really a hidden gem with so many great wines uh be it sparkling whites reds and rosés and sweet wines. So really exciting wines. I hope people learn about Valeria's particular winery and their over a hundred year history. She has a lot of great anecdotes. And um, I hope people learn about uh, an area that's easy to get to if you visit from uh, Milan, if you come from Bologna or Genoa, it's very accessible. So a real, a real region to an up and coming region to visit. Awesome. And uh, so I guess before I, uh, I mute myself, I wanted to just uh, give you a short introduction and then, you know, you go ahead and, and introduce Valeria, but uh, I haven't really introduced you. Uh, so let me do that. So Susanna Gold. So you enjoy sharing your love of wine to educate both uh, the trade and consumers and you hold 10 wine certificates. That's a lot of certificates from schools around the world, including you are an Italian wine ambassador uh, from Vinitaly International Academy. Um, and you're an educator, journalist, communications professional. Um, so, and, and also I, I was reading all about your, your writing today. Um, <laughs> and uh, you do that for individual producers and for regions. And, uh, You've been the Alugana East Coast Ambassador for the past seven years and was named the Brand Ambassador for Oltrepo Pavese this year, which you just mentioned. Um, and um, yeah, your writings appeared in the Financial Times, Gourmet Retailer, Food, Food and Beverage Business, Bever blah, 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 Food and Beverage Business, Snooth.com, Organic Wine Journal, The Sommelier Journal, uh, F&B Magazine, GDO Week, and Palette Press. That was, wow. Okay, so I hope that uh, if I'm missing anything, just let me know. I know that um, things, you know, there's always updates, but um, go ahead and, and do that if you, if you have any updates. And I, without further ado. Great. It's actually my pleasure to introduce Valeria. Valeria grew up in Freccia Rossa, where her grandfather Giorgio and her mother Margherita were taking care of the winery. Her great-grandfather Mario bought the estate in 1919, so that's an over 100-year history at Freccia Rossa. She went to study at the Fine Arts Academy of Milan and then moved to Paris, where she married an American and had three sons, before coming back to her roots in Freccia Rossa in 2011. She converted the estate to organic farming, and to that I can attest, having seen it uh, in first person and all the life that's going on on that vineyard. And she's now working with Pinot Noir and indigenous varieties, surrounded by a first-rate team and supported by the knowledge handed down from the generations before her. Her son Pietro, who is 21 at the moment, will be the future of the winery. So hello, Valeria. How are you? Hello, very nice being with you. I'm fine. 
I'm fine. I'm in Frescarossa. And very happy to talk to you about, you know, my our our estate, our, our winery, our land, Oltre Pavese. And voila. Hmm. This is Valeria's first time on Clubhouse, right? Is that right, Valeria? Right, right. That's my first time, yes. Yeah. So it's a little it's a little bit of a strange platform, but welcome and I'm excited to be the first person that you speak to on um, Clubhouse. So my first question to you is what age did you begin working in the winery? Not that I'm asking your age. I'm asking like when you were a girl. <laughs> I'm a woman. I would never ask you your age. What I'm asking is did you work in the winery when you were little? Did you know you wanted to work in the winery? So I, I grew up in the winery and I really deeply loved this place. Uh, but then I, uh, when I was around 18, 20, I went to study at Fine Art Academy in Milano, as we are one hour far of Milano, we are very close. And, you know, I always loved drawing and painting and this kind of thing. So I decided it was going to be my way. And I went to Fine Art Academy and then I moved to Paris and I lived in Paris for many years. I married there and I had three sons and I... And in 2011, I came back to take care of Frescarossa. And uh, so I didn't start in Frescarossa. Even if I grew up here, I didn't start taking care of Frescarossa when I was full that young. I mean, I was already 40. And uh, I am, uh, uh, I'm taking care of it now. You know, it's, it's completely my project. It's a place I'm very attached to, you know, because it's the place I grew up in. And, and wine has always been part of our family, of, you know, of the life in Frecheros. You know, there was the house and the wine. It's only, it's one thing, you know. Yes. So I remember when I came to visit you, I was at your winery was kind of a, a huge surprise to me, both because of so many colors and all of the kind of uh, elegant flower arrangements that I believe your mother did. But I was wondering uh, what other kind of touches from art, your, your background as an artist, have you brought into the winery? Uh <laughs> I, I I don't know I don't know maybe just the color you saw on the walls or maybe you know it's um um maybe the the artistic vision of things helps you to be more creative and more free for other you know thing even about thinking about the wine you know because wine it's always there is always something of you in the wine you make and right. uh, you know. Uh, liking liking creativity having been um the artistic side brings you more sensitive uh, sensitivity you know towards things so i think this helps in a way there is a touch in the back of things you know and the touch that you cannot maybe tell but there is something that comes from that background yes that that's what i remember when i got there i thought oh this kind of looks like a mexican or a french kind of outside layout and i remember you were wearing this very fat, very uh, colorful jean jacket with skeletons on it. And I said to you yeah. something and you turned around and you said to me, you know, the Grateful Dead. And it was just such a, it was just such a funny, <laughs> a funny way. I don't know. It just really it struck me. And I, I really, I enjoyed that. So um, apart, from, apart from the their artistic side, I wanted to know, um, is there a favorite part of the year for you in the vineyard? Oh, I must say I, I love spring because in spring, there's this energy of life coming back. You know, it's 
winter seems always very, very long, you know, even if it's a, just a few months. But I think it's a few months with less light, with cold, you know, with less color in nature. So when uh, uh, there is this waking up in spring, you know, and the and the, the vine starts having leaves again and uh, flower everywhere. I, I think that's magical, you know. I think every time I think I love to live in a place where we have season, where there is a winter, because so you can enjoy so much the spring, you know. that's <laughs> If you did not have the winter, uh, you know, um, it wouldn't be the same. But it's uh, spring, it's always magical. I think for you too, you know, it's... Uh, so this is... The, moment of the year I really love because it's new energy, new life starting again. But I like also to see the grape growing up, you know, the the bunch of grape growing. I like to see them taking color in July. I like it when we harvest. I like it now that, you know, the leaves are red and yellow and they are falling down i it's always beautiful you know and it's always beautiful beautiful because it's never the same it's just uh, and you when you live in there you are a part of it you know you are really in contact with all the season and and the nature and i really enjoy that that part that's great thank you yeah no i agree with you i i love every season in a vineyard and i would imagine living among your vines must be a very special special thing in that beautiful house you have on that amazing vineyard i was really uh, excited to walk your your vineyards what have you learned about making wine that surprised you is there any part of it that was really something unexpected I, yeah, I think uh, that, you know, making wine makes you very humble because you realize you cannot control everything. You know, it's uh, even though you know a lot of things, you think you know everything you have and you think you're doing things perfectly well. And then always very often there is something happening that you don't know, you know, that you didn't think that was going to happen and makes you very, very humble. So you learn that you have to get along with the wine, you know, when you are making it, when you are um, uh, doing fermentation, after fermentation, you know, during aging, uh, you have to taste, to listen where the wine wants to go. And, uh, and you know, it, it, it's very good, but you have, you cannot control everything, you know, you can do the best that you can do, but you cannot control everything. So this is, was, you know, very, um, I think it's, it's, it's a lesson in a way because, you know, um, uh, it's kind of, of a boat, you know, drifting in the, in the sea and you try to, to drive this boat, you know, and uh, to drive it the best. But, you know, it goes, uh, it goes with the wind, where the wind is. It's, it's something that you, um, you are part of it, but you cannot control completely. You know, it's. Kind That's of like nice. raising your children, kind of like raising your children. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can kind of steer them. But... I think it's easier. <laughs> yes, it's something like that. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, no, I actually, I actually make wine in my garage. Um, yeah, oh, do, do, do you? <laughs> I do, I do. I've yes. been uh, making wine in my garage for a number of years, and it's more than a humbling experience and, and really gives me uh, so much kind of understanding of 
of what great wineries do and and good winemakers that is not what i am at this current time but it's been a very interesting and, and humbling experience as you say because no you cannot control nature so this is maybe a time to talk for a minute about nature and uh, climate change because we talked about it when I was visiting you. And I wonder, have you seen loads of changes in your vineyard? What do you, what's your thought on that? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Unfortunately, you know, uh, we were talking about that. My grandfather used to harvest in October and um, we are now harvesting in August. Can you imagine that? We've moved like one month and a half before. Um, and uh, and this is because, you know, it's getting warmer and warmer. And so we have to learn how to deal, you know, uh, with the grape, with, with um, taking care of the vegetation, um, leaves of the plants and everything, how to deal with the vines in the vineyard and in the cellar, uh, not to have uh, wines with too much alcohol or wines with... Uh, um, uh, very low acidity, you know, it's another, we have to learn a new way of taking care of our vines. And uh, um, this changing has been very, um, maybe stronger in the last 10 years, you know, it's getting warmer and warmer. I mean, this year in Italy, we had a really, really warm year and uh, we are having a very, um, a terrible draft, you know, it's, it doesn't rain, never rains. So it's, it's very, very dry here. And um, so uh, I think this is what is going to be with a bit more water, I hope, you know, but the heat is what we're going, is going to be uh, for the next, uh, uh, for the future in, uh, so we, it's not, there is, it's a hot, it's a very warm year or uh, it's, it's going to be like this. So we have uh, to learn uh, to make wine in a new way. We cannot do what we were, we were doing 20 years ago. I cannot do what my grandfather was doing, you know, because he had a different quality of grape. It was uh, colder, uh, sugar was lower, acidity was higher, so he could, uh, he, he was working a certain way that is not the way we have to work now because uh, uh, now that uh, the climate would give very easy, very high alcohol uh, uh, wines, nobody wants to drink them because <laughs> nowadays we are very, everybody's very careful about how much alcohol they drink and they prefer, they rather drink lighter wines, you know, and um, I understand very well this, you know, so we have, uh, and, yeah, and so we have to be, uh, act um, how do you say, aware of what, what um, the tendency of the market is and what people like to drink, you know, and um, the way we drink has changed a lot in, in the years because uh, maybe... Uh, at the beginning of last century, people were drinking much more sweet wines, you know, like also the champagne in French were brut, uh, dry, extra dry. They were very sweet, much sweeter than what we drink nowadays. And we want to drink uh, less sweet, less uh, alcohol, lighter wines, you know. So uh, we have really to fight with this climate and we have to learn a new way of taking care of our vineyards and uh, and of uh, the making of wine in the cellar. So I think everybody's experimenting a lot because we don't have, uh, you know, a recipe. And uh, so, and, and everything we make, uh, we can see the results 
months later, you know? <laughs> so it's not very easy. It's not like making a cake and you don't like the recipe and you want to change something. So in the same day, you can make the same cake several times. With wines, we uh, have to wait months to see, you know, what we have done, if to see if what we think to do was a good idea or not. So uh, everybody is experimenting. We are trying to take care of some part of the vineyards, leaving more leaves, for instance, uh, this year to protect the vines from excessive heat. We spray them with, um, I think in English you can say kaolin. It's uh, um, like a white powder coming from a rock you know, that you can put with water and you spray on the leaves. And this kaolin, um, it looks, it, it is like a sunscreen for the, for the plants to protect them, not to lose too much water and not to have too many X-ray and um, um, red, uh, how do you say, raggi, ultraviolet, yeah, ultraviolet. Yep, yep, yep. Yes, yes, yes. Friends. So, you know, everybody is experimenting. We are now uh, also in the uh, for fermentation we are we're using more and more the cluster the whole cluster for pinot nero to leave uh, uh, you know to have a bit less alcohol a bit more acidity and the fresh note that comes from the cluster that of course you have to use in a certain way otherwise you have too much green note you know and so we are we are experimenting we are trying we are finding new way and we're very grateful and happy when the results are good <laughs> of course absolutely are you are you also considering planting different kinds of grape varieties or uh changing uh, we are um, we are thinking about it you know in ultrapo what uh, uh, we have that is that we can go higher up planting vineyards because uh, we are on hills and these hills becomes higher and higher and then there are mountains, but we are now, our estate is in, on the first hills, which when my, my great-grandfather bought uh, the winery was considered the best place to um, get, to, to ripe uh, grape for red wines, you know, and now it's getting a bit too hot. So uh, this year we're already using some Pinot Noir, uh, growing higher up at 500 meters, which is, you know, higher, we are about 200, so it's a bit higher up. So we have much, a bit more freshness in the grape, more acidity up there. So we are lucky in Old Repo because we have this territory where we can go and plant higher up, you know. Uh, but um, and a, a new variety we are we are looking what what but for the moment you know for the moment we can handle we use uh, uh, more on north sides of the hills when you know there again my grandfather did not plant on the north sides because it was considered too cold too much humidity you know and now everybody's looking for north sides of the hills. <laughs> Of course, that's so interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's so yes. interesting. So, have you always been organic? When did you make the decision to take the winery organic? Uh, when I started taking care of the winery in 2011, I was thinking of that, you know, because I'm very sensible to a certain way of uh, living, of protecting the place where we live or respecting the herd and and we live in the middle of our vineyards you know so for me it's important to have a very safe um, 
a place around, not only for me, but for the animals, for the bugs, for, for everything, for the plants themselves. And I met this very uh, interesting person who is our agronomist. Um, it's called uh, Pierluigi Donna. And he's, uh, and I really liked him and uh, we start working together and he, he's teaching us, you know, he's accompanying us in this uh, new way of working. We've been uh, organic. We started uh, working completely organic in 2013. So we have learned a lot of things, you know, because in organic, you cannot buy a book and look, you know, light up at page three, what to do if it rains. You know, it's not that simple. You have to take care of everything. The higher part, the lower part, another side. That, and but it's a very uh, um, interesting way of working. And it's possible nowadays because, you know, for vineyards in Italy has been more than 20 years now that they've been wor start working really like this. And we have learned a lot of things, you know, with university uh, helping us, you know, making uh, ricerca, how do you say, re re research, research, you know, and uh, and um, it's, it's, a, it's a way, it's a way that you can go through. It's not difficult, it's not impossible. And uh, and I think the plants are more in balance, you know, there there is more, uh, the soil, it's more safe, it's more alive. So the roots can uh, go um, to um, um, take what they need in a, in a, in the in the society um, uh, where the balance. Sorry, I'm sorry. Sometimes I don't know how to say things in English. <laughs> thinking about. I'm sorry. Yes. So uh, if the soil it's it's safe and alive, the roots of course works better. And uh, the quality of the fruit also, it's better, you know. So when they tell you that the wine burns in the vineyards, it's completely true. Because uh, if you have a good quality of fruit there, you will have also the base to make a good wine. It's like, you know, when you buy a tomato, maybe in a supermarket where they look perfect, but they don't taste anything. Or you grow a tomato in your garden and you take it, you know, when it's ripe from the plant. And both of them are tomatoes, but there is a huge difference, you know, of taste, of aromats, of everything. So that's uh, uh, that's uh, the same with grape, you know. You have to, um, uh, if you have a good quality of grape, you will have a good quality of wine, you know. That's very important. You also you also grow bees. Are you raising bees, right? Yeah. Say that if you say raising bees. I'm not sure what you do. You're you're not harvesting bees. You have yes. bees. Yeah. You have pollinating. You have pollinating. Yes, we pollinating. We, right? we have bees. We have ten hives of bees, and uh, three just to make families of bees. And uh, we are uh, yes. I'm very happy to have them because you know they're for everything for the plants for pollinations for flowers and bees are very sensitive to a lot of uh, um, products that they use in natures uh, when it's not organic and they sometimes they die you know it's very sad you have hives you know the whole hives all the bees dies because they've been uh, Are you enjoying this podcast? There's so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps, our books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged, 
the Jumbo Shrimp Guide to Italian Wine, Sangiovese Lambrusco and other stories, and much, much more on our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now back to the show. They go to uh, take nectar on some plants that have been treated. And so uh, here, as we are organic and they have a large, you know, uh, zone where there is no dangers for them, they are, it's good to keep them, to protect them, you know, also because, you know, that bees uh, on, on the herd, they, are, um, they have a lot of threat to them. They, they have disease, they have parasites, then they have the poisoning. We're not using, uh, you know, um, things that are bad for them, poison them. But they die if they go uh, far away, you know, in places that they've been treated uh, with poison and they can die. But normally the, the, the hives we keep here in the winery, that's one of the reasons why we keep the bees, is uh, because here it's safe for them, you know, it's safe for them. And so uh, they are well, they are well. But, you know, uh, this guy who taught me how to deal with bees had sometimes hives in some other parts in some other places and uh, it's often he has found all the bees dead you know because uh, it's dangerous what uh, we use in agriculture for them it's very dangerous you know what i find i found so i have found interesting in organic vineyards and and yours as well is how many insects are hopping and running around i mean it's amazing how much life there is in an organic vineyard. I mean, you can just see the, the vineyard, you know, living, right? Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. But, you know, biodiversity is our um, our best friends, let's say, because the most you have of bugs, of animals in general, of weeds as well, the less you have one that becomes very dominating. And so you might have the nasty bug, and you have the useful one because it eats or limited the nasty one. And then you have the one that doesn't do anything, but it occupies a space that will not be occupied by the nasty one. So, you know, uh, the more uh, the more bugs, the more species of bugs, of weeds, of the the more we, it's easy for us, you know, to, to work in the vineyards. And you can tell when people use a lot of uh, um, pesticide of, or um, like the glyphosate, how do you call that, to, to kill the weeds, you know? Um, treatments, treatments, uh, treatments, different kinds of treatments. When they, use, yep. oh, when they use a lot of treatments, then um, uh, there are all, only some weeds that can grow after this poisoning. They're the strongest one. And they're very uh, in, invasive, uh, in, in, how do you say invasive? Um, they, they, and they're, um, oh my goodness. They invade the, they invite, they invade the winery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, it's, uh, not working like this. You have uh, in the vineyards, when you walk in the, through the vineyards and you look at your feet, you will see a lot of different kinds of weeds and this, and of course, if you look closer and closer, you see a lot of different kinds of bugs, which is very useful you know to have balance in the in nature it's very important that it's an all it's a, a, our best friend this bio, biodiversity absolutely um i love that so i'm gonna switch topic for a minute because i don't want to 
I don't want the whole clubhouse chat to go by without you talking about the amazing history of your winery in the United States, because I believe you have one of the earliest numbers of possibly exported wines. Is that right? Oh, that's right. We have the number, the license, the export number, uh, license number 19. Which is which amazing. Is, uh, very, that was, we got there in, uh, nine, in February 1934, just at the end of Prohibition. Because our wines were on the uh, ferries, on the boat that uh, brought people from Italy to the States back and forth. You know, people did not uh, fly to come to the States in those days. And the, the trip was maybe a couple of weeks, I think, or even more. And so they had restaurants on this boat. And uh, on the restaurants, uh, our wine were served, you know, and uh, so when uh, prohibition and then people get to the states they get off the boat and unfortunately they could not drink anymore because they had prohibition and so when prohibition ended i think it ended in 1933 uh, at the very beginning of 1934 we were ready to come uh, on the american market because a lot of people had drunk our wine and they liked them they liked them and so we had the market ready you know for them and uh, we uh, so we had this uh, license number 19 exportation license and ever since we have a very uh, interesting market in the united states you know it's very and and this this happened because my grandfather and my great grandfather had the idea of making good quality wines of course but putting them in bottle which sounds very common today but it was not a hundred years ago in italy in Italy, they used to uh, make wine and put them in damigiana. Damigiana is this big jars, you know, uh, where you can put maybe um, 25 liters of wine. And people used to go to a producer, buy this jar, you know, of uh, wine, bring it home and put it in bottle themselves. And this, you know, uh, lasted until the 70s, maybe a lot of people were not bottling, but making this damigiana. And uh, my grandfather went to study how to make wine in France. And he saw, you know, that the French were already using a lot of bottles. And, uh, and he came back, you know, from there with some new ideas. And uh, we are talking about uh, the 20s of the last century, you know, 100 years ago. And so he came back to Italy. He started making uh, good wines and bottling them, which, you know, uh, that allowed allowed them to travel to more faraway markets. And so we started uh, selling the wines in England. And then, because they were on this boat, you know, going to the States, we entered the American market. So that was, uh, we started exporting very, very early in our history. And that's because, uh, thanks to the fact that the wine were bottled, which was not very common in Italy in those days. Can you tell us the story about the bottle that was found at the bottom of the sea? Ha! That's a fun story. You know, uh, like maybe 20 years ago, this guy came with an empty bottle, you know, and he brought up this bottle from the bottom of the sea. And uh, he was a scuba diver and he went visiting this boat that uh, belonged to the uh, Italian army that was uh, um, uh, how do you say a fondata that was a shipwreck uh, it was a shipwreck right a shipwreck oh, yes exactly near Somalia you know this boat had uh, um, uh, shrank before uh, just at the beginning of the second world war 
and uh, it was not very far away from the coast so people went to visit it and um, this guy went into this boat and saw some bottles of wine in a corner and he was very uh, a wine lover so he he was very curious to see which wine was this you know and he bought up a couple of bottles and and it was but the bottles of Frecciarossa because on the um, cap top, you know, uh, there was still our the number of register of our winery, and so that's of course the label was not there anymore, and uh, and uh, so he analyzes, you know, the wine inside it was still with alcohol, with acidity, kept because the cork had you know worked well, so the wine was still a good wine. But he, we did not get the wine. He drank the wine. Oh, I don't know what he did with the wine. He brought it, but he was very nice to bring the bottle to us. And I love the story of this bottle that, you know, left from here, went to Somalia with a long uh, trip, you know, was under the sea for a long, long time and came back to here. It's like uh, the ring, you know, for the... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's yes. a very fun story. Can you also tell the Af Alfred Hitchcock story? Yes. So Alfred Hitchcock made his first movie in Italy in 1925. It's not a part of it in Italy. It's not the movie he's more, uh, the most well-known with. It was the first movie. But we don't care about the new movie. We care about the fact that he was... Uh, staying at this big hotel on the Como Lake in that period that was called uh, Villa d'Este. It's still called Villa d'Este. It's a very beautiful old hotel on the Como Lake. And uh, they were serving our wines there. And he got, you know, very fond of uh, uh, a, a white wine that my grandfather was making. And uh, in the years, that was 1925, and uh, in the years after, he was sending somebody from Paramount Pictures once in a while to Frecciarossa to, to buy a case of wine for him. And uh, when um, in, he finally met my grandfather uh, in the early 50s, because uh, my grandfather went to bring some wine to this place, to this Villa d'Este, and Hitchcock was there. So uh, they get to know each other. And in the back of a menu, he wrote him uh, our first wine, uh, in Italy from 1925 was Frecciarossa, La Vigne Blanche was called because my grandfather in those days was giving French names to all his wines, you know, because uh, probably uh, to, make it, to make them sound more, you know, uh, have more appeal on the uh, market outside of Italy or to give them more importance, you know, which... Is not what we would do now because now we try to be much more territorial. You now, what we want to uh, talk about is our territory, the wines from our region. You know, that's. Uh, but in those days, you know, that was the marketing they had, and so uh, Hitchcock was very fond of this white wine that was Riesling called uh, La Vigne Blanche. That's so I fun. I, I love those stories about about your winery. And a another topic I wanted to just touch on was, um, well, I met your mother when we were visiting and your mother was, she went to agronomy school in the sixties. Is that right? Oh yes. Because my mother was born here in uh, the winery and, uh, she's always been very, uh, you know, fond of this place. And, um, you know, in Italy, when um, uh, you went through a university, often you are called the dottore, doctor, 
And uh, so everybody, but the dottore, doctor, is also a doctor that uh, when you are sick, the doctor comes. You know, this is the same word. So everybody here was calling my grandfather dottore. And she was asking, but why do you call him dottore? He's not a doctor. And they said, your father is a doctor for the plants. And she says, when I will grow grown up, I will be a doctor for the plants like my father. And she did. She went to study agronomy. You know, in, in 1963, she finished university and there were only three women going through this kind of studies and only two finished the university because, you know, it was in the 60s in Italy, women were not going through, you know, very, uh, this kind of, you know, studies probably. And, uh, but she did. And she took care of the winery with my grandfather, with her father for a long time. Then my grandfather passed away in, uh, in 1980. And uh, she went on uh, alone. And after some years, she uh, modernized completely the cellar, you know, uh, because we were vinifying everything like we like this, from the beginning we've been vinifying everything in wood you know white wine red wines marolatus but in the meantime they had invented the uh, also the uh, steel vats which are very are very useful for fermentation uh for cleaning and we can also now it's a big help because now that the climate is changing because you can control the temperature of uh, fermentation, which is, you know, a good, very good help to preserve the aromas. Because if fermentation goes in very high temperature, uh, it goes very fast, very quickly, but uh, you lose a lot of aromas. It's better that it goes slower, lower temperature, and that you preserve the aromas. So she did all this big job of renewing everything, you know, and um, and she's still around, you know, taking care. She says, nowadays I only take care of my flower, but no, she's very important for me because she's the memory of everything that happened here. And, uh, you know, sometimes I ask her, how did grandfather did with this wine? How did you do with this or with that? And it, it, it's very important to have this, uh, to have her in my back transmitting, uh, you know, this kind of information, this kind of, her knowledge, because the interesting thing is that I think that, you know, man, mankind has learned how to make wine in uh, so many years. And we have improved so much uh, in knowledge because, you know, if you think that the, the 2000 years ago, the Romans were already making wine here, but this their wine did, did not uh, last long. And they soon they became with oxidations or they became like vinegar and often they had to put uh, honey in them of uh, spicy, you know, to drink them. And we have learned generation after generation, you know, to deal with fermentation, with wine, how to preserve, how to. And, uh, and uh, for me, the experience of my family here, it's very important because they know this place, you know, this very place. So they have the, uh, you know, uh, my mother always told me, uh, every harvest is a new adventure which is true because uh, you never start with the same quality of grape from one year to the other you know for instance this summer was so hot so dry you know so of course you don't have the same uh, 
grape that you we had last year and we'll have another year. So every year you you learn, you know, how to deal with this. And but uh, after so many years in a place, you have the experience of dry year, of wet year, of cold, of spring. And you know, and you know your vineyards, you know, you know, and uh, you get better how to deal with your grape, you know. So that's very important, this experience they have and they can transmit me, that my mother transmits me still. She's 83, but in a very good shape still, still around. So I'm lucky to have her, <laughs> I think. Absolutely. I remember those those beautiful uh, flower creations that she made out of vegetables and flowers. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love that. Um, yes. Is there anything that I missed that you want to share about Old Grepo or about your winery before we open it up to any questions, if people have any questions? Uh, so, um, Old Ultrapo, it's I think it's a really beautiful area. It's not because it's where my home is, but I think that you have seen it, Suzanne. I think it's a very good, very beautiful region that uh, uh, that uh, you know it's a bit unknown. You know, even in Italy, it's something um, that uh, it's a kind of a new frontier what that people is discovering. But at the same time, it's a very, very, very old place where the Romans were already making wines, you know, here. And um, uh, it's a hill region, so it's never easy to work in hill. It's harder. It's harder than work. Sorry, because my mom is around and she's making noise. She's not supposed to make noise. <laughs> Yes, in uh, so uh, in Ultrapo, so it's a very ancient region, and uh, we're now working uh, a lot with uh, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Noir was brought here around 1850 by these guys who were um, they were from Piemonte, which is next next door from us. And they were, they wanted to make a, an Italian champagne, you know, and they tried to plant Pinot Noir, you know, champagne is made with Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Meunier, Pinot Meunier. And so they tried to plant Pinot Noir in Piemonte with not very good, you know, results. And so they came, one of them came to uh, Oltrepo because one of his cousins was here and had a very big estate and they tried to plant Pinot Noir here. And here they were very happy about what they got because, you know, Pinot Noir was really good. Because I always say uh, that everybody loves Pinot Noir, but Pinot Noir does not love everybody, you know, because it's a difficult grape. You cannot plant it and have good quality everywhere. And uh, we are lucky enough that here it grows very well. So ever since we start more and more working with Pinot Noir on this territory, and uh, now um, uh, the people is very, is very much in love with Pinot Noir. They are all over the world. Um, they're coming more and more because they found out that we have very good uh, sparkling wines, you know, uh, made with Pinot Noir. We have good Pinot Noir reds. And, uh, it's, uh, uh, and we are just one hour south of Milano, one hour from Genova very close to Bologna. So it's uh, it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting region to visit. You know, I I, I suggest that if you want to find to find out about a, a new place in Italy that you haven't seen yet, you know, this the Oltrepo, it's it's really beautiful. It's really worth it. I completely agree. Um 
Should we open the floor to questions, Laika? Joy? Yeah, Never. sure, of course. Okay, let's uh, call Joy. Okay. I'm right here. Hi. Um, did Hi. You, did you? Hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> um, I, I love this the the stories about uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Like such so much history in your family. It's really fun to listen to. I love it. I um I was wondering though, did you um did you mention the price point of your wines? The price point? No, I did not. I did not can, because can you talk about that. Yeah, because uh, I have um, no uh, idea uh, now. In the states, I think that you can find them uh, uh, around uh, from uh, twenty dollars to fifty, sixty dollars, probably in this uh, range. They must be, you know, they the lower price must be around twenty dollars, uh, and then you get up to sixty. No, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly in this moment how much they cost. But but no, it sounds good because there's a range, and I'm just wondering in terms of if I were to walk into a store in New York, I uh, you know where you know where would I go and like you know what what are my options? So that that sounds good. Um, I'm not sure. Like, do we have any questions from the audience? Because sometimes people are shy, and then we end up having to email questions later. Um, no, we don't have a. Qu okay, so we we've got Lori. Question. She's raising yeah. her hand. So let's uh, let's see. Okay. Hi, Lori. Okay, do you have any questions for Valerie? Yes, yes, a lot. Um, there is this thing I want to ask. Um, I want to ask the um, Mrs. Valeria, do you have any pub or any restaurant um, um, which people come and celebrate? Maybe do you have anything that you do um, which in the celebration um, whereby you put your wines in the display for people to come and try to buy and to sell? Yes. Uh, so yes, we have uh, so we have a tasting room where you can come over, you can visit the winery, and uh, of course you can taste the wines and then buy them if you like them. And then we have a place where you can have uh, lunch or just cold cuts and cheese. Um, and then we have uh, an old big house that we rent for weddings you know for bigger celebrations for uh these kind of things you know it's uh um so that's what you can do if you come to visit us you know it's and we have i didn't say that we have a, if you want to see some pictures of Richarosa, we have a, of course a website but we also have an instagram where you there's much more pictures of course than on the website and the um the, so instagram is uh, freccia rossa winery and uh, uh the website is frecciarossa.com freccia rossa it's uh, it's written f r e double c i a r o can we talk about the name Frecciarossa, Valeria, where it came from? Of course. So Frecciarossa, in English, you should know that means red arrow. And it comes from a wrong spelling and writing of a name. It was in the local dialect, um, landslide, you know, it's called landslope. I don't know how to say it. It's called Nafraccia. 
And uh, um, as probably on this hill where we are, in the old days, there was this land slope of red clay because we have red clay. And it was called, the name of the hill was La Fraccia Rossa. And uh, uh, probably somebody, every, everything was written by hand, you know, in those days. So somebody who wrote the name at a certain point, he wrote it in the, with the wrong spelling. And instead of Fraccia, wrote Freccia. And that, that's our name, Freccia Rossa. And that means red arrow, you know, it's, uh, uh, and it's also, also now in the last year, the name of the fast train in Italy. So everybody asked me, why are you called with like the train, but it's the train that is called like us, you know, exactly. we were there before. <laughs> That's so funny. I just looked up wine searcher, just about the prices and you were absolutely correct from around 20 to around 50. So that is the correct range. Okay. 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 Perfect. Thank you, Susanna. Thank you. Um, all right. So we are almost out of time. So I'm going to stop you guys right there. Thank you, everybody for that was actually like, I mean, I, of course, it was going to be a great conversation, but I really enjoyed that. And I know like I did too. Um, uh, before we get we go, though, like, do you know what our next clubhouse session will be who will it be? yeah so it's going to be actually they're here on stage so john hernish will be interviewing caterina sartarelli um tomorrow at 7 p.m italian time zone and now we also have kevin de lucente he's going to interview pierluigi travalini um next week on thursday at 6 p.m so that's it and yeah See you there. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much for, for a wonderful conversation. And um, yeah, I, I wish you guys a wonderful evening. And I guess, Susanna, it's daytime still over there. Yes, it is. Plenty of time ahead <laughs> in the day to drink a lot of Francia uh, Rosa. Excuse me, my goodness. <laughs> 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 I, I, I forgot. You know what? But you know I what heard a lot of what we to say. <laughs> okay. All I'll right. Thank you so much, guys. Thank, Thank, you, so you, much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net.
guys. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.